0: Hello, my name is Michelle Yana-Chan, The Wandering Book Collector, and this is my podcast, conversations with writers exploring what's informed their books and their lives around themes of movement, memory, sense of place, borders, identity, belonging, and home. The Wandering Book Collector podcast is supported by Abercrombie & Kent. I'm joined by the writer Justin Morozzi to discuss his book, Islamic Empires, 15 Cities That Define a Civilization. It opens in Mecca in the seventh century, moving to Damascus, Baghdad, Cordoba, Jerusalem, Cairo, Bez, Samarkand, Constantinople, Kabul, Isfahan, Tripoli, Beirut, and ending in modern times with Dubai and Doha. Justin's previous books include Baghdad, City of Peace, City of Blood. Also, The Man Who Invented History on Herodotus, and Tamerlane on the awesome warrior and conqueror, plus south from Barbary, following the slave routes that cross the Libyan Sahara. Justin, welcome to The Wandering Book Collector.
1: Thanks very much, Michelle, lovely to be with you.
0: The starting point of your latest book, Justin, is that once upon a time, Islamic civilization was the envy of the world, forward-looking, forward-thinking, in which nothing was off limits. Given that, I wanted to ask you how it felt writing this book. Emotionally,
1: Yes, I think one of the reasons I think I wanted to write it, it in one way, it was um, a sort of distillation of places Ooh. I've lived in or visited many times over the years, or there's a strong family connection. But the other one was almost a bit more journalistic, trying to push back against that tide of doom and gloom, which was really, I think still is actually just dominating coverage of what's often called, you know, the Middle East, North Africa, Um, the Arab world, where, you know, especially in the decade since 2011 and the um, largely ill-fated Arab Spring, the the stories coming out of the region have understandably been incredibly grim um, and full of tragedy and bloodshed. And I just thought, you know, with a historian's hat on, um, why don't we revisit some of the cities that we're hearing about in the news today, in an entirely different context when they were resplendent around the world, cultural leaders, intellectual innovators, and so on and so forth. And I, I don't think I was looking for anything especially didactic, but I, 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 as the book progressed, I did think, started to think, you know, is there a pattern here? W- what is it that makes these cities successful at their high points? And when it does go wrong, are there things we can read into um, those cities and explain how you go from sort of you know cultural greatness to apocalyptic slaughter in places like Baghdad was was one of the obvious ones, for example. So yeah, it's a bit of a, a, a an attempt to move away from the current and and revisit some of the glories of the past and try to understand um how you go from one to the other
0: and And so how does that feel? Does that feel hauntingly sad? or nostalgic or
1: more neutral. I think they, they they evoke very different reactions. For example, if you know going around Dubai, we're kind of heading from history into sort of modern journalism, really. And and Doha, which is where I end the book, is very much a a present tense um bit of reporting almost but some of the cities yes there's a great terrible feeling of tragedy one, one of my favorite cities um was Tripoli which I think in, in some ways wouldn't necessarily justify its position in the book were it not for the sort of personal connection I've had with that place since I was a teenager and to to go from that in you know the the 80s and 90s the the time of Gaddafi and a, and a, a pretty strict highly regulated dictatorship. To the euphoria of the 2011 revolution, which I I also covered as a journalist, and then revisiting it when the when the city, Tripoli, and the and the entire country Libya, are tearing themselves apart was was tremendously um, distressing. I mean, it's it's all very well for me to say that as as a Westerner and as a Brit, but for Libyans, you can imagine the it's it's completely devastating. So I think different cities have evoked different responses. Baghdad. Probably I saw some of the worst times in recent years when I lived there from 2004. Things have got rather better, I think, since then. But they've also had to go through that terrible time of ISIS, the so-called Islamic State, and um, indiscriminate slaughter on the streets and across the country. So, you know, Constantinople, Istanbul, one of my favorite cities in the world. And that's often I get asked that, you know, what's your favorite city? And i say almost every single one in the book. I, you know, adore these cities, really. Um, with the exception of Mecca, which obviously I'm not allowed to to visit unless I either do something very naughty and go undercover, like Richard Burton did in the 19th century, which I don't think would be a great idea, uh, or become Muslim, which has um, yet to happen.
0: And that said, you account for many of these cities across the centuries, how rivers ran red with blood and corpses rotted in the streets. And this is when these cities were enjoying their golden age. So is it ever thus?
1: they do have quite different history i mean i mean beirut i suppose that was an interesting city as well actually because beirut you could say with a kind of modern lens on all all our talk of diversity diversity and inclusivity beirut at one level incredibly diverse 18 different sects um all with sort of you know designated um positions under the constitution and so on so it, its simultaneous strength is also its terrible weakness as well, though, because uh, as we see now, you know, the the breakdown, um, the antagonisms between occasionally antagonistic communities can can can, can rip a city apart as well. Um, when you talked about you know rivers running red red with blood and black with ink, that 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 is specifically Baghdad, and that was when Hulagu, the grandson of Genghis Khan, came in and. Just led this sort of completely savage conquest of the city, and destroyed libraries, the mosques, um, the madrasas, the religious colleges. And really, a civilization that had been there for a good five hundred years as the world's leading um, sort of intellectual center. Um, but I think if you look at that particular city, Baghdad, what, what really interested me was that that recurrent pattern of violence. Um, in a very sort of crude and cynical shorthand you could say it's this sort of sunni islam versus shia islam and it's it's more complicated than that but but that is a that is one of the fundamental aspects to it um and yet it also has these moments of just um completely peerless ascendancy i'm um, not just in the islamic world but worldwide um and i started I suppose thinking or suggesting to myself that maybe this was because at that time it's very open, it's very tolerant, great relations between um, the the different the, the religions, the Jews, the Muslims, Christians, fewer antagonisms between Sunni and Shia Muslims. It's almost like a a recipe for success. But and then when those things start going wrong, basically all 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 hell breaks loose. One of the most surprising things I thought about Baghdad or a statistic was in 1917. Um, I think something like 40% of the population of Baghdad was Jewish. And then when I arrived in 2004, so a good deal less than a century later, I think there were seven Jews left in the city. One of the oldest Jewish communities on the planet, completely hounded into extinction. And um, I I would make a direct link between that sort of chauvinism and lack of tolerance to these cities when they're at their lowest ebbs. You look in vain for sort of tolerance between the faiths and so on.
0: Well, I, I, I think about the end of the book with respect to that, jumping forward to Doha, leaping onto the world stage, as you put it. And it's not all going their way, of course, right now. One of your interview partners there was a Qatari engineer who was sharing his worries about being a minority in his own city. He called it dangerous, in fact. So I'm not sure that perspective works for a city to become great. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting, Michelle. And um, in in your introduction, you said you know one of the the themes you look at is belonging, and I think nowhere other than in Dubai and Doha did I did I pick up on anything any sort of sense of uncertainty about that. You know, if you come from Tripoli, you're you're a Tripoline or Tripolitan. If you come from Baghdad, you're a Baghdadi. It's very clear that's that's part of your identity. But I think in those two cities which uniquely the sort of indigenous city inhabitants are a small minority and becoming a smaller minority all the time as as they develop and, and, and bring in foreign workers from around the world. Um, that sense of, of not belonging or identity, really nagging. Um, and I found it probably a bit more acute in Doha, where I, I suspect because it's a newer city um as as a city rather than you know a pearl fishing village it's newer than dubai which had had more decades of development um and it may be the emiratis are a bit more comfortable at the moment with with that whole aspect of being a small minority in their in their own sort of city state but it's fascinating as well though because a lot of them are, you know, understandably very proud of those two cities and the, the extraordinary development. The Mount Kuhn family had this sort of mantra, you know, build it and they will come. And and they wanted to make the word Dubai familiar on the lips of men and women around the world. And they were laughed at at the time. And now I think, you know, you could safely say that Dubai is is known worldwide. And I think there's a similar aspiration. In doha as to whether they can become great cities i think that's a yeah i'm not saying that they would necessarily become great cities i suppose they're they doha interested me at, almost as a sort of a, a laboratory case for how to build a modern city is it an arab city is it a global city um what what, what you know what is its kind of essence and, and its culture and i think that that's all being not not thought out on the streets, but it's it's being sort of defined by um you know burgeoning population with 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 plenty of different cultures. And Qatar, as you say, back back in the news at the moment with the World Cup.
0: I mean they're, they're undoubtedly fascinating cities, especially for a journalist to see the spectacular urban transformations and and almost limitless resources driving their ambitions. But I personally don't feel much affection or joy there. And and I know you slightly moan about people like me, the Dubai and Doha bashes in your book, but you didn't give much away, Justin, for how you feel about these cities. What do you think?
1: <laughs> well, um, I would say that Dubai, Dubai's never been one of my favorite cities, I suppose because I'm a bit more old fashioned and I love somewhere like Baghdad where you can almost literally stand on a street and dig down and, and find history buried beneath the soil that, you know, on which you stand. Um, and it's obviously it's harder to find that in Dubai and Doha. Are they my favorite cities? No, I don't think they are. Um, if you really push me and say, give me your give me, you know, of the 15, just choose one. I'd I'd struggle viciously, and I'd say, please don't make me choose. But if I really had to, it would be Istanbul, which um I adore Istanbul. Um, but I think what I what I wanted to say about those Dubai and Doha, though, is I think it was important to kind of address. I'm not saying you're one of these people who who cups or, or sneers at Dubai, but but there are there are people who do. Um, and I had a nice uh, quote from I think she was a sociologist in Dubai. And she said, you know, the, the, the Sudanese, the Iraqis, um, the Lebanese, the Libyans, the Tunisians, the Algerians, the Moroccans, you name it, they'll all sneer at Dubai and say, you know, you're you're so crude, you're so vulgar, you've got no history, but they all want to come and live here.
0: I know, but Justin, I mean, uh, you know, Iraq or Dubai, you know, Sudan or Dubai. I mean, it's all relative.
1: Yeah, it's all it, it's all relative. Um, and those I'm not are,
0: sure you know, the 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 world is envying Dubai and Doha like they were envying Islamic civilizations over the last millennia.
1: Yeah, I think I suppose that the, the a lot of those countries we just mentioned, you know, have been involved in um, pretty destructive um conflicts and, and civil wars and, and revolutions and so it's understandable that you know if you were if you're feeling that you know you, your future in either baghdad or cairo under the the, the the sisi regime which is pretty brutal and you felt you didn't have much future there then then dubai might simply make sense I, just just on the ground that, that that people aren't, aren't killing themselves in their droves or the the, the the levels of freedom are so much higher
0: quite a low bar
1: Pretty low bar, <laughs> but I think that's that's one of the that's one of the tragedies of the region at the moment. You know, being realistic, H- how many of these um, cities are are in countries that you you know many of us would want to go in and live in forever? I mean, my father was born in Beirut. It was it was part of my childhood in the background. You know, his sort of wistful longing for a, for a city that he didn't know particularly well, but was being destroyed in the nineteen seventy five to nineteen ninety civil war um would we would either of us want to go and live in beirut now i think not really i mean it's difficult enough being a journalist there but actually living there as a as a beiruti it's unimaginably awful and um and sad and and i think around the region um that desperate damascus one of the great 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 storied cities of the world one of the great arab centers of civilization who wants to go and live there under the Assad regime now it's desperate
0: I got it wrong when I had to guess. I told myself, guess which one is your favorite city? And I got it wrong because I thought it was Cairo. Um, When I read this book, it is, you know, there was a quote. The quote I love, which I'm going to plagiarize at some point is, there is nowhere better to find your bearings in space and time. I totally get that. And I love that. That's why I thought Cairo was your choice.
1: Those, those la- the layers of history, just one upon another and another, it just goes on and on. And and, and that's why I sort of feel conflicted about saying, you know, one of them is my favourite cities. I love all of these cities, um, almost without exception. Um, and you Cara called is- a few
0: of them home before. Um, and I know you've just run through this a little bit, but do you want to call any of them home again?
1: I, I, I always have this vision of just spending, you know, living there again, rather than sort of just dropping in. But I would definitely feel the same about um, Istanbul. I think Beirut just seems to be very sadly off the gender. I, again, I would have loved to be based out there for some time. Kabul I've always loved as well. I mean, i just sort of blown away by its sort of physical aspect and environment on, on first sight, the city surrounded by um, mountains. And the um the chapter I wrote on, on Kabul in the in the 16th century was deliberately chosen for to, to give a sort of um a way into Babur, who, although he wasn't an Afghan, he was actually born in what is now Uzbekistan in the Fagana Valley, came to adore the city of Kabul, which probably for many of us today would you know you think, what the hell? Um it's a war zone, it's Taliban, it's um ISIS, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But it, it, it's a very beautiful um you know urban setting maybe the city itself has seen better days and it's that's god knows how many decades now we're looking at the, the fighting has, has dragged on but it's a very beautiful um place in a, in a spectacularly beautiful country so kabul i always feel is um you know opportunity to get to go back and, and spend much more time there but what about samarkand as well we haven't even mentioned the word samarkand which is one of the great ancient cities as well I know you were talking with Anthony Satin recently and um, Tamerlane came up. And that's a sort of idea where the nomad meets the settled. Tam- Tamerlane one of the great nomads but he also made a point of building one of the greatest capital cities um, on earth Samarkand in the uh, in the 14th century.
0: Would well, quote Timur or Tamerlane as as you do in the book he said let he who doubt our power look upon our buildings. And even for a nomad like him, he understood that legacy often comes through the building of, of cities. Yet I, I, I wanted to challenge you on that. It, you know, you've chosen the structure of, of looking at Islamic civilization through 15 cities. But is, is there something also missing because that's the optics?
1: Was something missing from 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 the history? You mean, or um...
0: I guess the expanse of you know what else was going on in those Islamic civilizations? Because oh, yeah. so much was movement as well and nomadism and yeah. and the breadth of the globe. And, and Tamerlane is a good example because although he, you know, Samarkand is always associated with him, he was also on the move a lot.
1: Yeah, and utterly restless. Um campaigning I think virtually every year I think with a two-year break from, from about 1370 to his death in was it 1405 he only stopped for two years and, and that was really just sort of throw himself into this sort of frenetic building spree in Samarkand where he was just sort of chiding on the builders and whipping them and killing them if they didn't build things quickly enough um but as you say otherwise yeah uh utterly nomadic as well but is it? Yeah, of course. Um, you're right that it's limiting. Um, I suppose I went for tried to increase the sway in ter- or the reach in terms of timeline. So t- giving it sort of the full 15 centuries from the very first Islamic century of the seventh century, you know, and the Prophet Muhammad, at the birth of the new faith in the Arabian Peninsula, and then ending in our own time, just to look at one particular case. But Yeah, you're you're right. It's limiting in the sense that the the cities only tell part of the story. And it's limiting as well in a way that um, you could have a completely different list of 15 cities. I mean, some of them, I think I I felt personally, because I I, I think A, could I had been there, but also B, because they were so important in the Islamic, the, the early centuries of Islam, especially places like, you know, Mecca, Damascus, Baghdad, it would be a bit odd not to have those three, for example, but you know the twenty first century we, I could have chosen Bradford maybe as an example of um, a, a, a sort of contemporary Muslim urban setting. um maybe that would have been more controversial. it would have been very different as well. but lots of people occasionally say you know, why didn't you mention Lahore or you know why didn't you mention Jakarta? And you, you know it's <laughs> you can have that sort of debate endlessly, but as the writer you I suppose you eventually have to sort of focus on on something um and i thought it was a pretty nice list of 50 so they're very different as well you know we can tell from the conversation we're having already that that, that the variety for you know samarkand kabul dubai um mecca mecca i thought was a very interesting one and it it's hard to like a city that you can't get to know if, if that makes sense um and i i wondered whether you know is is there an innate chauvinism to the outside world on behalf of mecca there aren't many cities on the planet that are completely closed to to people um who don't share that that particular faith for example you know i can walk into a mosque in 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 most um islamic countries as a, as a respectful visitor and admire its beauty architecture and so on and so forth in, i can't even get into the city of mecca and i i i, I found that fascinating what did it mean culturally? Um, and coming across very old quotations about the the you know the harvesting of pilgrims. The pilgrims are there to be milked, you know, over a thousand years ago. And I, I'm speaking to you today from a little village in Norfolk, which has had pilgrims for over a thousand years. I wouldn't say the village milks the pilgrims particularly, but pilgrims are a you know a, a part of the, the village life, and pilgrims are also a huge part of Meccan life. Um but it's not a city that welco- well, it welcomes the Islamic world, but it only welcomes the Islamic world. Um, and I found that, that it's, it's kind of a, one of the more, well, I think it's the exceptional city in this list of, of 15 here. You
0: almost could have had a guest writer on that one, maybe.
1: Well, there there are plenty of people. You could have the, the writer Ziadine Sada, who, who who wrote a recent biography of the city. That, that would be interesting. And, you know, people who get very emotional about it, and Mecca being something that is kind of in their heart, for decades until they can finally afford to make it and, and we'll have a completely different relationship with that city. Yeah.
0: I can I can see very much how there must be people who feel like you left out their city or a particular city, but you also had a publisher probably on your back saying, we're not going to do 47 cities, Justin. <laughs> keep a lid on it.
1: I did, I did toy one with sort of a, the idea of sort of a follow-up and some completely different cities. And I thought, no, we, I've done Baghdad several years ago. That took several years this took several years. Um, that's quite enough for now. Thanks very much.
0: Was your choice of subject for the book or, or more accurately, the structure, in part because you wanted to go travelling to 15 phenomenally interesting cities or 14 because obviously you couldn't go to Mecca?
1: Oh, I think definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought in one or two of the reviews, people have said this is actually as much a sort of travel itinerary as it is a history book and I, and I like that I hadn't particularly thought of that but yes it, no definitely I mean I've been quite in a way quite selfish um I suppose I just had to try to have you know test you know can 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 this particular city hold its place in the book as a, as an as a, a, a at least a sort of vaguely significant part of of the history of the muslim world and I thought with, with the exception possibly of Tripoli. Um, I think the answer is yes. But even with Tripoli, it's such a great, it's a great story that the um, the 18th century, when a, when a sort of an upstart dynasty just says to the Ottomans, well, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna carry on paying tribute to you. We're gonna run um, a basically a pirate and Corsairing racket and slave trading racket um, from this city and you can all go to hell. Um, we're, we're taking over quite quite a bold move on on behalf of a small little dynasty and and for about 130 odd years they were able to successfully shake off the um their ottoman overlords so i just thought it was a really interesting city at that time and i i yeah i'd been going there for over 30 years and i just wanted to write about tripoli because I, I i do love it as a it's almost a town rather than a city but it's um yeah i w- w- wrote my first book on a, about a camel journey which you know started in tripoli on the north african coast all sorts of travel here, for sure. But having said that, a lot of people would say to me, are "You kidding? I know I had no interest in going to Kabul. I've got no interest in going to Baghdad. You know, why are you uh, Damascus now, blowing itself to pieces in the civil war? Couldn't you have chosen some nicer cities?" <laughs> so you can't. Sometimes you can't win.
0: I mean, you are a historian by trade, Justin, which makes me picture you in fusty libraries and fairs and and bookshops in Cairo. But perhaps this for this book, you were mostly on the street. H- how do you apportion time when researching a book like this? Do you long to be on the road, or or hold up reading, or or reading on the road?
1: Yeah, I definitely want to be on the street. Um, I think so. Yeah. So I, you know, I missed that opportunity in, in Mecca, obviously. But I think it's interesting because you know, if you talk to the and live among as much as possible, the, the people from these cities, you're going to learn so much more then basing your research only on the sort of the dusty books and dusty libraries thing but I, so I, I think try to do it as much as possible of both and I think in in a way um, one of my guides to all of this is someone like Herodotus or even um, Ibn Battuta who I know you, you've you um, touched on recently with um, Tim McIntosh Smith who's a writer I really admire that kind of on the road traveling historian um diarist memoirist um and Herodotus would you know traveled around looking for what he called great and marvelous deeds and that could be the sex lives of Egyptian women or how how to mummify a corpse um flora and fauna adventures gossip rumor scandal you know he was a bit of an investigative reporter he was a tabloid journalist he was a dramatist um I like that kind of on the road approach to history as well, rather than only basing it on, um, yeah, the sort of the, the library thing. I think but both can be limit, limiting, but you know, let's try to marry the two together um, and get a get a more rounded picture of of, um, in in this case, the the cities, um, and the people who come from them, and what do they think about their own cities and their history? You know, these are often very contested narratives, um, different interpretations, pride, hubris, shame humiliation, all of the human emotions that, that we, we love. And we, we're we all storytellers, aren't we?
0: Your own travels, Justin, have taken you from Mogadishu, where you were communications advisor for the Somali government, by the way, to being a foreign correspondent in Manila, to working for a security firm in Baghdad. Is there nothing this man can't do? Um, is, it, is it this, the geography and this diversity, the kind of,
1: cocktail life that that drives you gosh um I suppose I don't know my I suppose my father was quite nomadic in a way um he, he, it's difficult to sort of pin things down when you're when you're a child and you you know you just, whatever you have around you is normal but I think my father had been to something like 150 odd countries he was working as an exporter and lived out of um a globetrotter suitcase and spent a lot of his travels um, in the Middle East and uh, in the Eastern Mediterranean, um, North Africa. So I, th- I suppose I kind of inherited that interest in that part of the world, but just had zero aptitude or interest really in business. So I th- kind of inherited his his love of, of similar parts of the world, um, but with a historian's hat on rather than um, Uh, sort of entrepreneurial exporters hat on so that's always felt quite normal but i guess also thinking of this before we started speaking today is that how a lot of travel writers their travel writing can be um more limited to their earlier years um i'm just thinking of someone like willie willie dalrymple a travel writer who moved much more towards history and uh, discussing that with him once and he said you know well you know you acquire families and um it perhaps it's more of a rarity to stay travel writing um from your, you know, your first writings through to middle age and old age. It, it's 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 a difficult thing. But at the same time, I think travel writing is is it'd be strange for it to go out of fashion completely when we are such a sort of as a species, we 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 do travel a lot and we love telling stories. Whether, you know, Herodotus in his time, um, Colin Thubron um two and a half half thousand years later you know in his in his 80s still writing travel trying to understand the world and come back and tell the stories about it it's not just traveling is it it's it's traveling recording documenting probably interviewing researching and coming back to tell a story
0: yeah on a mission I mean I feel like if I'm traveling and I'm not documenting something or writing about it I feel like I didn't really go now
1: yeah, Which if you haven't got your, your laptop out or your pen and moleskin notebook or something, there's something missing there. You you feel, um, yeah, you, you should be doing something.
0: I mean, given you you chose urban centres for this book, what's your own personal relationship with cities? And I ask you this now, because I know you're in Norfolk and you've just returned from the wilds of Scotland where you were disconnected at least for a while, I know. So are you a city man yourself or are you longing to tramp off among wet heather
1: yeah the funny thing is actually in some ways i can't stand cities um i'm much happier with the wide open horizon um here in norfolk it's huge skies big seascapes um salt marshes and few kind of mountains but equally the the desert somewhere in the sahara or um in in rural afghanistan i i find that sort of um topography or environment much more in it making me it, make, it makes me much happier than than being in a city um having said that, I suppose foreign cities cities where I don't know so well I think that there's that excitement of the new always you know I think I don't know if it was it Freya Stark who said there's nothing more exciting than waking up in an unknown city alone um, because it's incredibly exciting you've got everything outside your hotel room or whatever wherever you are is new and and there to be discovered so I think that's can be completely exhilarating. But I've probably got to go to London tomorrow. Am I excited? No, I'll be really excited to return to the countryside, which I think I just find it better for the soul than you know a, a frantic urban existence. Um, unless it's for sort of exploring and writing and researching and interviewing people and things.
0: In the opener to this section, Justin, um, Cairo of the of the 12th century, you quote Maimonides from the guide for the perplexed, best title ever. And and this is the quote, in times gone by when storms and tempests threatened us, we wandered from place to place, but by the mercy of the almighty, we have now been able to find a resting place in this city. In your search, as you traveled um, around all these countries and and cities, did you ever feel like you could locate what it was that drew people to stop, to to make a place home and, and thereafter call it home?
1: God, that's an excellent question. Um, it's so hard to generalise about a particular place. I mean, um, Dubai was on a creek. Um, it, it was a sort of fishing village. Um, ostensibly, it didn't look like a great place to find a city. Baghdad, um, Mansoor had been supposedly sailing up and down the Tigris, looking for an auspicious place to, to found his new capital. Um so there are kind of different sort of foundation stories for some of these cities. But yes, I mean, they, they always they, there's some unique stroke of genius or favorable climate or proximity to a river or something um, that these cities share. And Maimonides is a really, really interesting case you mentioned. I mean, he, he was a, a a Jewish scholar fleeing persecution and came to a largely Muslim city. Um, Hard probably to find a 21st century equivalent of that. Um, A a Jewish scholar fleeing persecution, coming to, um, you know, look look at the list, um, Isfahan, Kabul, Mecca, Baghdad, it's just not gonna happen. Um, So I think for him, it it was a refuge, a, a tolerant place um to continue his 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 work his um writings his research um so yeah and Baghdad in its heyday the world you know flocked to it to to make their fortunes um especially I think especially you know get get rich building construction boom find jobs um I suppose I've always been you know with proximity to London I've, I've always felt that that is a different type of there's a similarity, you know, the, the world coming to London and, the, and migration to a city that can absorb and employ people from across the world. It's, it, it's, it is tremendously exciting, um, even though I'm a bit of a sort of country boy.
0: I mean, and, and put simply, when you when you speak about it that way, Maimonides might be just referring to somewhere that's welcoming.
1: Yes, it, it, Absolutely. Um, and I suppose, you know, these, these places can be more or less welcoming as well. You know, the different different approaches to the outsider. I mean, I think to, to generalise massively, I've always found the, the Islamic world incredibly uh, welcoming and hospitable. Um, and I remember being in places like Libya when um, the US uh, was bombing, I think it was Sudan at the time. and And, and there was just... Kind of embarrassment with my my libyan host but there was no sense because i came from you know uk an ally of the us that um there would should be any hostility towards me or it's always you know the most poor families um share breaking bread with you and, and giving giving what they they can in a way that we in the west i think have completely forgotten um I mean, wilfred thessinger wrote about that in arabian sands you know that he hoped um Arabs coming to the UK would realise that we are just as inhospitable to each other uh, as we appear to be to them, by contrast with their incredible, incredible generosity when you, you, know, you visit their their homes and their cities.
0: Jerusalem is the complicated city, which so many believe to be their home or or a home, but such a complicated home. Of, of the people you met there and interviewed and got to know, is it history
1: then that makes a home or something else? God, Jerusalem is such. Um, you, yeah, you say it's, it's complicated, and and I think the word I used a lot about that one is contested as well. I mean, whose home is it? Is, is it one people's home? Is it one? Is it the home of people who from only one faith rather than all three? Um, why has coexistence proved? so difficult and and blood soaked between jews christians and muslims you know what why why do certain um people at different times think that it should be theirs exclusively um and people who have been um kicked out of jerusalem who would still regarded as as their home many 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 years later um i think uh, as someone who doesn't is not especially religious at all it is the one city that think thought god if there's any place on earth that has too much religion uh it's it's jerusalem but then one could equally say it's the people who make the religion rather than the faith itself so it's muslims jews and christians behaving like um humans which is you know we love a fight we're antagonistic we like to think that our ways of doing things are better than other people's ways of doing things and it all sort of coalesces into this sort of boiling atmosphere of tension um so, for a kind of student of cities, it's, I think it's hard to beat Jerusalem for for all of these this, this maelstrom of conflicting um, opinion, interpretation, di- different histories. I mean, the, the, there's, no, there's no history of Jerusalem; Their history is plural, and they, like the people they they um, they represent, are, are highly contested as well and 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 fought over. Even the archaeology there is incredibly political. I mean, it, it's completely fascinating. It's also somewhere I, I would never want to live either, for, for pretty much all of these reasons. Um, I think it's yeah, it's, there's there's too much conflict there. There's 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 too much obsession with faith, and there's too much obsession with exclusivity. Um, it's a very difficult place to I think humans have shown that it's a very difficult place to coexist happily, peacefully, and with tolerance there.
0: And and for you, Justin. Do you feel different senses of belonging in different places, perhaps not Jerusalem, but other cities that you've spent time in lived, now the countryside of Norfolk, but is that is, that, is there an attachment that goes
1: beyond? I, I think sadly and strangely maybe, I think in recent years, I um, almost felt like more of an outsider possibly because... When when you're in some of these places, and you and you're from a part of the world, so here, you know, I'm, I'm British. Uh, I come from the UK. We've we've had our, our fair share of um, so you could say political turbulence recently. But to be honest, on a, it's not really on the same scale at all as the sort of conflict and and fighting in places like uh, Baghdad and Damascus. So I think in some ways I felt more of an outsider there and almost embarrassed to have come from a sort of a, a more prosperous by complete accident of birth um these people are in cities that are, are really just tearing themselves apart in 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 what can i think that even the un described it as damascus as a hell on earth you know it's one of the for traditional um, medieval arab geographers they call it a, a perfumed paradise and that same city is now described as a hell on earth and so i think i've probably felt less belonging and, and more awkwardness um, in visiting some of these cities, no, no matter how how many times or how many years I, I sort of go back there. I've always felt like I belonged a bit in Tripoli, but, you know, who am I kidding? I, I'm not Libyan. I just have great fondness for the city and, and lots of really great friends there, um, but I'm never going to be a Libyan. I'm never going to be from Tripoli.
0: Well, Justin, finally, I wanted to turn to your own work and ask you what's next and what you're working on.
1: I am almost through the first draft of a history of slavery um, in the Muslim world, which is... I feel that every book I sort of bite off more than I can chew. Baghdad was um, desperately uh, difficult and then I I went from one city to 15 (laughs) and now I'm going to slavery um in a book which i hope will barely mention the word atlantic it's nothing to do with the atlantic slave trade it's about the the history of slavery in the muslim world which is completely fascinating
0: and has that taken you on the road again
1: a little bit actually to one, one of the most harrowing i think interviews i've ever done was with a a, a liberated a recently liberated slave in mali who i think was one of the most distraught individuals i've ever um spoken to you know with it with it with a notepad it was it was pretty awful a man who uh i think had reached the bottom the the the, the, the you know the 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 bottom of his life really he what he managed to do was escape from slavery with his two wives and 12 children his life was effectively over but what he had achieved was to to get his children out of of, of that system of her, hereditary slavery and i think that was the only positive um in that in that encounter so i have been a little bit on the road yeah
0: harrowing stuff well um justin i look forward to learning more about that myself and thank you justin Morozzi, for joining me on the wandering book collector
1: thank you very much michelle a huge pleasure
0: and my thanks to the supporter of this podcast abercrombie and kent goodbye